The world is noisier, more digital, and more data-driven than ever before. When it comes to making decisions, cold, hard numbers are only a few clicks away. But what if the numbers don't add up? What if instead, the best way to make decisions is not from stats and figures, but instinct and intuition? Hmm. I have a feeling we're not going to be seeing eye to eye on this one, Ben. Me neither, Tom. Welcome, listeners, to Subject Matter. Hello, listeners, and welcome to episode six of Subject Matter. Ben, how are you doing this fine day? And before you even answer that, I want to know how you're doing and one way that you supported somebody in your network this week. I am doing really rather well, Tom. Thanks for asking. It's good to see you as always. And one way that I've supported my network this week, well, a very good mutual friend of ours, one Mr. Finn Thormeyer, has, uh, well, he's been doing really well this year. 2018 has definitely been one of his best years yet. And as such, he wants some help clarifying his story and working out how he's going to share it with the world. And so I had one of my story sessions with him, helping him clarify his message and working out how we're going to share that to the world. I'm going to be working on his brand guidelines tomorrow, and I'm very excited to share them with him. Same question by you, Tom. What's one way that you've supported a friend this week? Uh, I actually had a great call with a 17-year-old entrepreneur who was trying to bounce three projects at once. And the truth is, you must have absolute tunnel vision on one or two things maximum in order to have a real impact. So kind of discussing with him about how to really drive home one successful project and work from there with a core base was a key lesson. Interesting stuff. Well, let's jump into today's discussion then. And the topic of episode number six is that the numbers don't lie, but neither does your gut. Is it better to make decisions from the numbers or from your intuition? And we're going to start off today, as always, with a story. And we're going back in time for this one to World War II. And one of the Allies' biggest Achilles heels was none other than Erwin Rommel. He was the ruthless, dauntless commander of the German infantrymen. And in Northern Africa was the bane of his British opponents. Now, you see, the British, they hated the testing terrain and its scorching weather, because this forced their plans for an orderly military fight to crumble almost immediately. They were expecting something they knew, and they certainly didn't get it. But Rommel, he actually earned the nickname the Desert Fox for his surprise attacks. And where the British were relying on a tried and tested formula that had allowed their military predecessors to win countless victories, Rommel was not. They were all being fed the same data, but this data was useless in the African desert. And Rommel, on the other hand, embraced his environment. He had no formula for success and yet was wildly successful. So how was he able to manage that then? Well, Rommel had a sixth sense for being able to smell the turning point in a battle. When many other generals would let their forces stagnate into disaster, Rommel sensed opportunities. And in the heat of vicious African sandstorms, he was able to decisively commandeer his troops to press the advantage, exploiting weaknesses the enemies didn't realize they had, and which allowed him eventually to emerge victorious despite the odds being stacked against him. Rommel had no hard facts to rely on in Northern Africa. It was all 
due to his finely tuned sense of timing, his instinct, his intuition to know exactly when the tide was turning and how to exploit it. If Rommel had done a Myers-Briggs test, I'm pretty sure he would have scored on thinking over feeling. For those of you in our listening audience unfamiliar with the Myers-Briggs, a Myers-Briggs is a personality test which essentially gauges a spectrum of different ways that you perceive, think, or engage with the world. For example, are you an introvert or an extrovert? Or more relevant to this conversation, are you thinking or feeling? People with the feeling trait follow their hearts and emotions and care little about hiding them. The term heart on your sleeve is something that you would see from a feeling trait. From their perspective, we should not be afraid to listen to our innermost feelings and share them with the world. This is kind of why Rommel was so successful, except the way he felt was he felt a situational context that gave him the edge in battle. But not everyone is wired this way. People with a thinking trait seek logic and rational arguments and rely on their head rather than their heart to guide their decision-making process. These people will analyze the pros and cons of a decision and then act. A great example of this can be found in poker players. Liv Bourie is up there with the greats. She's been the World Series of Poker and 2010 European Poker Tour champion and is the only female player in history to hold both titles. She sees her decision laid out in front of her in terms of a cost-benefit analysis. If I do or don't take this path, what are the implications? If I flop a 10 on the river, am I more or less likely to hit a straight? And is my opponent more or less likely to have just hit that full house? You follow Bori's advice and go one step further still by removing any subjectivity in your feelings. When you can assign numerical percentages to fuzzy numbers like maybe, sometimes, and probably, you start to clear away the fog of uncertainty. It's one thing to feel lucky, but it's another to have the odds stacked ultimately in your favor. But what if intuition isn't the ultimate question? What if it's about a factor that transcends this gut instinct? And what if it's something that takes us to new, unparalleled heights? What if it is all about courage? And that's because it takes courage to follow your gut. And this point is highlighted in the book, The Effective Executive, by the esteemed management consultant, Peter Drucker. And in it, Drucker gives us one explanation for why courage wins out over analysis. For Drucker, courage lets you see what is truly important. It allows you to focus on opportunity rather than on the problem and to choose to build the future rather than fix the past. And we need to look no further than Catherine Graham for an excellent example of this principle. Catherine Graham was the head of the Washington Post, but this was a lady who fell into ownership of the Post after the suicide of her spouse, Philip Graham. And by all accounts, she was marginalized in this male-dominated world of media and politics. But Graham had the courage to publish the highly controversial Pentagon Papers, which outlined North America's involvement in Vietnam and the coverage of the Watergate scandal, even when she was told that the very fate of her beloved paper was held delicately in the balance. Now, Graham isn't the only example of why courage can win out over analysis. Taking a step back from the world of the arts, let's go to the sciences, because studies of research scientists have shown that scientific achievement depends less on one's ability to do research beforehand and more after the courage 
to go after the right opportunity. Scientists who choose a product or project with a high rate of becoming a quick win may appear in the footnotes of many esteemed papers, but they're unlikely to have a law named after them or to claim that coveted Nobel Prize. These positions are reserved for the pantheon of scientists who had the courage to tackle challenging problems head on, undaunted by blindness, and courageously went where no man has gone before, to borrow a phrase. Even in science, sometimes it pays to leave the research alone and instead strike boldly where your heart tells you. Ben, you say Drucker has to focus on opportunity rather than the problem, but What if some opportunities can't be found through intuition alone? What about the data-driven insight that led to the founding of the world's most valuable company? While working at a hedge fund in 1994, Jeff Bezos came across a report with a shocking statistic. The internet had grown by 2,300% the previous year. Jeff said, and we're quoting now, things don't just grow that fast with the exception of Petri dishes. A non-trivial baseline growing at 2,300% a year is clearly going to be everywhere tomorrow. And so the question became, what kind of business plan would make sense in the context of that growth? Jeff used this data-driven insight to inform his impeding market diagnostic that led to the founding of Amazon. Amazon, after that recognition, was founded two years later. It was intuition that was balanced by an analytical foundation to then justify pursuing a new novel industry with all of his efforts. Actually, a mentor of mine, Dhruva Rajendra, who co-founded Latch and currently runs Fast for a Lab product studio, once remarked that there are three types of learning. There's research learning, like Jeff Bezos reading the report about the internet growing so rapidly. There's experimentation where we see a group or a software company maybe building the minimum viable product of whatever their thesis is, they can quickly figure out what assumptions are and aren't true about what they're trying to build. Finally, using people, using other people's subject matter expertise as a proxy to grow as quickly as possible. Everyone has their own mix of how they balance those three different types of learning, just as everyone has their own mix of how they balance intuition versus data-driven process. And there's one aspect of this that I want to dive into, because for many of us listening, and this is myself included here, we'd consider ourselves the creative type. But for me, numbers don't come naturally. And so the question is then, I know that data is powerful, and I know that these insights can lead to opportunity. How can I harness them? And there's one notion that we can explore here if you think that this applies to you, and this is the notion of quantified self. Now, also known as life logging, Quantified Self is a movement founded by the people behind Wired Magazine, Kevin Kelly and Gary Wolf. And Quantified Self tries to incorporate technology into data acquisition on aspects of a person's daily life. So to translate that for you, it's all about collecting data in terms of the food we consume such as more fat, for example, which will make our senses sluggish. We are, after all, just a bunch of warm, programmable robots. It could be the quality of the air we breathe. It could be the mood that we're in. And all of this tracking comes back to one thing only, and that is enhancing our performance. For entrepreneurs, myself and Tom included here, I know that performance is a large part of what we do. You want to be, quote unquote, on as much of the time. 
And there's one piece of data which I've been tracking, which has had a noticeable difference in my performance when applying quantified self, and this is tracking our time. Now, I've started to track my time relentlessly on everything I do. I use an app called Toggle, which just sits on my dashboard. And anytime I'm doing work, I'll track my time. But I've broadened this to more than just my work. I track my exercise, my reading, my meditation, my creating, and my managing. So if managing is meetings, doing administrative stuff, the creating for me is writing, either ghostwriting for clients or writing my own content. Now, the powerful thing here is because I am tracking valuable tasks like reading and creating and exercising, if I then look back at my calendar where I track my tasks, then I can see the buildup of these valuable activities over time. And if I do find myself inevitably stumbling or faltering, I can use this notion of quantified self and come back and allow myself to restore an all-important factor of momentum. I can track time, which allows me to create this momentum because I can see the clear areas in my life where creativity is manifesting. Data always builds you up and the numbers never lie. And it's the marriage of that data with the intuition that matters to understand the opportunities that can scale. And it's this marriage that looks different from person to person. The key, however, is understanding how you function and learn and apply your individual process to the spectrum of overall analysis. And if that sounds too technical for you, just go with your gut. So listeners, as always, we choose to draw the line between data-driven analysis and gut decision that you just know are right is up to you. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Subject Matter, and we will see you next time.